New entrant, small business, large business, mid-tier large business, large business, prime, and subcontractor are adjectives that characterize the various roles and sizes of business operating in the GovCon ecosystem. Within this competitive landscape, large business prime contractors are considered the big dogs and can be a significant asset for small businesses, especially very small businesses striving to grow. However, as a small, how can you not only capture the attention of the big dogs, but ensure you are prepared for what a partnership with a large prime requires? Welcome to Unveiled GovCon Stories, where we explore the experiences and share the stories of small businesses and government contracting to spotlight the often sugar-coated or avoided discussions that speak to the reality of doing business within the U.S. public sector as a small business. On this episode, we are joined by Bianca Berrios, SVP of Operations at TechSynApp, with over 20 years of proven delivery and operations experience leading large programs across public sector, DOD, and civilian sectors, and is focused on growing and expanding the civilian portfolio at TechSynApp with collaboration, organic growth, and breaking into new sectors. Bianca started her early career as a developer and quickly progressed into program and project management, where she found leveraging technical skill sets with the full project lifecycle was where her true passion lies. In her career, Ms. Berrios has served as a project manager, program manager, and BPA lead across organizations, most recently like Department of Homeland Security, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, Department of Labor, and many DOD sectors. As chief business officer of a woman and veteran-owned small business, Ms. Berrios managed the corporate portfolio with the value up to $60 million to include 300 employees and subcontractors across the civilian sector. Fun fact, Bianca was a soccer coach for over 20 years. Bianca, thank you so much for being brave, pulling back the curtain, and sharing your GovCon story with us. So what's your story? My story is endless, but I would say I've learned a lot of lessons along the way And what I have found as being a small business, your differentiator is going to be the value you bring to a big. A big has all the tools, the skills in a wide variety of portfolios, but what you can bring is a niche skill set. You can also bring your government relationship. Perhaps you have a customer who just wants you, but you can't prime it because you're too small. Those are the types of things larges are looking for that will bring a value add and help you build out your company and your portfolio. Really appreciate that. Bianca, welcome to our podcast. Let's dig into it a little bit. I mean, we have listeners that are across the full spectrum from very small new entrants to some pretty large businesses graduating from small to large and even large businesses as well as government, other consultants, other industries. But we like to focus on some of the tips, tricks, tools, stories from small businesses. And in this case today, we really want to focus on how some of these small businesses can learn uh, to better focus on their some of their strategies and working with large businesses. We've seen even with the increase in spending focused on small businesses, it can seem like large businesses still kind of have it all. As we speak, um, the small businesses are constantly trying to, to, to crack the code. I mean, we talk with small businesses regularly and a lot of their questions are, how do we do this? How do we get in to these large businesses? How do we get our foot in the door? It's incredibly difficult to have some of these conversations and, and reach out to some of these folks. And in your role at TechSynap, you know, one of the larger small businesses, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, graduating small businesses, you guys are, are kind of that cornucopia of resources and tools that small businesses want to work with. As we'll discuss later on, you know, there are a lot of strategies that small businesses can engage in to work with small, large, smalls. 
and we will want to talk about a lot of them here coming up in, in the segment, but I want to talk first about what that small businesses need to take to be ready to team with large businesses. I think you mentioned a couple of them in your intro, but what are some of those kind of foundational components that our small business listeners really need to put on their checklist before they even, you know, start having those conversations with the large, large, small businesses? It's a tongue twister. All good questions. And I think there's a million right answers, but a few that I have found that worked for myself over the years and where I've seen success in companies is use your network. Who do you know, right? Or there's an opportunity coming out and it's coming out in a small business format. It could be a set aside, but it's a hundred million or more. And you're a company of 10. You cannot support that from an infrastructure perspective, but if you have the right rapport with the large, you put them on the back end that begins a relationship that could be built for a lifetime. So I think using your network, knowing you know who to reach out to when is key. I also say know your government customers or former customers or strategically hire someone who has that type of relationship. Understanding the needs of the government is step number one to anything. You're not a value to yourself or a large if you don't understand the environment you're trying to get into, right? And that and that's an evolving landscape all of the time. I'd say we're in a time right now where we're looking at the new guard and the old guard in the government. You have a lot of folks who've been retiring since COVID hit, and you now have a lot of new, very energized younger people, a lot of them former consultants that are at the helm of these government agencies. And, and those are the people you need to know and understand what their goals are. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's, so I want to level set, like I stated before in the introduction, Bianca, we know that you've worked at a myriad of companies of different sizes and uh, myself and, you know, Yaz included working at the very smalls, very small, smalls. It's, it's a unique perspective because you may not have 10 people in the company and that initial, you know, getting started is hard enough, but we all know the age old nothing's for free, right? You're not going to get a, there's no free rides and trying to come up with what your value is being one, being a very, a very small, small is many times pretty difficult. Right. With that, what advice would you give to some of those smaller smalls on how to position themselves and what types of activities they would need to do or have in place in order to be prepared to uh, work with a company like TechSynapse? It's a good question. I'd say get out to events, get out to as many industry networking events as you can to get to know people, as well as conferences and, and all of the things industry and government put on. So that's one, just getting out there and making yourself known of who you are and who your company is. I'd also say look into getting into mentor-protege relationships. I think there is a huge value add, I and I've seen it go both ways, very great success stories for mentor-proteges. And some that just don't work out because you find that, you know, your value systems or the way you operate are not the same. And, and for the long haul, you're not the right match, right? So to speak, it's like dating. So find the right company that aligns with your vision, your goals, your morals. I mean, you don't think that's a big deal until you get into negotiations, right? So you want to align with like-minded people. And that comes in all different varieties and sizes of companies. I mean, being at a company that is has been transitioning into large and, and very soon graduating out, it's like the awkward teenage phase. What's next? What's the right move? Who do we help? How do we help? 
How do we start flipping some of our work to trusted smalls that are five people or 50 people? It depends on the work, right? We have plenty of opportunities where it's a three person job. And then we have some that's 150. Is it right to hand over a 150 person job to a company of five? It's not, it's not fair. It is setting you up for failure and just the entire mission up for failure. So knowing how much to push on a small, small two, give you what you can handle because going from five to 10, that's doubling your company. That's a big shift. It might not seem like it's people on the outside. Oh, it's only 10 employees. It's 10 employees that need to be paid, need benefits, need to be nurtured, require attention. Do you have a back office? Who's doing your contracts? Who's doing your HR? I mean, the list is endless. And where I've seen a lot of the smalls fail is that they do get the opportunity to get a large chunk of work, whether it's five, 50 people, and they're not prepared. They don't have the back infrastructure to support it, whatever that looks like. And that's where things start falling apart. Employees are unhappy. And I think we all know once one person starts talking, it, it just spreads and it starts building a reputation that honestly is not really valid, but it's how that one person feels. So, I mean, that's what I, I want to, I want to pull on that just a little bit to take Yaz's play of words. You talked about men are protege. And as we know, with the men are protege, usually companies that go into those types of agreements have a minimum threshold of what they're looking for, which is often not companies that are super small. Have you seen or experienced where companies would have maybe not necessarily a formal men are protege, but set up maybe some type of mentoring relationship with certain executives that are in a, the agency or agencies that the smaller company is interested in. And as that relationship grows over time, maybe uh, formalizing that, that relationship into something more where an agreement could come in place to give advice about how to uh, slowly iterate and structure that back office and those additional infrastructure requirements needed to support that growth. Would you say that would be a, a good way for a smaller small to try and leverage a, a larger company like uh, Texanap? Yeah, I've definitely, and honestly, that's what I've seen be more successful because you build the relationship on a less formal side first. And that's where you kind of say, oh yeah, I like this person and I'm ready to like get engaged, right? Instead of jumping in, you know, all hands and feet and all of a sudden you realize I don't align with half of their leadership or I don't align with how they navigated this or that. I think it's perfect. I mean, again, I feel like it's dating. You need to kind of date and, and get to know each other. And once you form a report, because then you have at minimum one executive on your team, right? I'm team this company and I, I think we should bring them in. I think they've got a huge value add. They align with our corporate culture, our morals, our beliefs, how we've operated. You remember when we were this small? Let's give them the opportunity. And to me, that that saves a lot of pain too, because getting into a formalized mentor protege. Getting out of it, it's, it's like a marriage. Anyone will let you get married, but getting divorced is like this whole formal, real serious process. So, I mean, I keep going back to that, but it's the perfect analogy of, you know, those relationships can go sour fast. So before you formalize it, figure out if it's the right person for you. So quick question I want to, to kind of throw out there, because I think Tasha and I may start asking this question on, on every one of our sessions, because I think it's meaningful and helpful to a lot of these small businesses out there. When we're talking about materializing relationships or materializing opportunities, working with 
other companies. Part mentor protege aside, that is a for those that don't know, a mentor protege in the government sense is a formal process that is documented. There are a laundry list of things you have to do to be considered a formal mentor protege. So we're going to put that aside. We're talking mostly informal here. But yeah. how long would you say is kind of the time horizon to be able to form form those kinds of relationships to the point where it leads into like executable work? I don't want to put a hard timeline, but I would say if you are interacting on a consistent basis, and by consistent, I mean probably weekly in some level, whatever that interaction is, three to six months. And again, it's going to vary per relationship and company, but I think that's a good indicator where you've had enough dialogue and you're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm on the same page here. We're, we're, we're vibing to the same, you know, tune and we want to go this route versus like, oh, did you hear what, how they handled this scenario? I'm not a fan of that. I think, you know, maybe this isn't the right relationship for the long term. A good relationship to have, but maybe not the formalized mentor protege or long term, you know, marriage. Again, going back to that, just you, I think that, but it has to be consistent. If you're talking once a month, once every few months, it's going to take you a very long time to really understand. And I will say what I think some smalls make the mistake of is they get excited about an opportunity. They're like, oh, yeah, let's jump in mentor protege time. And then it's like, oh, I had no idea about X, Y, Z, or maybe there were skeletons or maybe it was the person you had the relationship with gets terminated or leaves in the middle of the process. Right. And then they come back. Maybe they say something like, don't do it. Or maybe they're like, you know what? It wasn't them. It's me. I've moved on. But nonetheless, those are the types of things. So getting to know someone and keeping that rapport, knowing they're going to be a solid figure in the organization that you plan on partnering with for the long term. Yeah. And so, I mean, for, for those that listen to, you know, one of our sessions, we in a couple of sessions, it's actually come up in terms of the business development cycle to identify and potentially win and materialize on an opportunity. If you add, you know, those call it 16 months on top of that, mm-hmm. folks, we're still looking at like a two year range of, identifying partners, building relationships, identifying the right kinds of opportunities, materializing that into actual contracts that you guys can all stand behind. And in this time, you're also running in parallel, setting up your business, setting up your infrastructure so that when those opportunities come, you're ready for them. So, you know, I bring that back up and because we, I, I do find that we probably don't talk enough about this is not like a tomorrow thing. Just yeah. because it's the end of the fiscal year doesn't mean you're going to pull down $2 million in contracts come October 1st. Yeah. Um, these things take time and it's a, it's a worthwhile investment, but they take, take time. And, and to that point, I want to talk a little bit more about kind of strategy. So we're looking at small smalls, but in terms of, let's say a small that sees their trajectory, because I know TechConnect kind of doubled or tripled at one point almost overnight. What were some of the elements for some of our more mature smalls that, in your experience, you would say they should be looking out for in terms of sustaining that type of growth and and potentially even planning for what their life looks like as a large small? Because I know we talk a lot about very small businesses, but we don't want to also leave out our folks that are growing, they're moving and grooving, they've got, you know, 100 employees, and they see that they're going after, you know, one of these big GWACs or big vehicles that say, and to, to, to literally, as we've said, your contract, your size of your company could be doubled overnight. And now you've got a couple large vehicles, life is looking good, the, the programs are on the up and up. 
what are some of those things they need to be thinking about strategically in terms of getting into that, as you mentioned, awkward teenage phase where now you're a pretty big, small business as far as smalls go. And you need to start looking and thinking and planning your relationships with larger small businesses and even large businesses differently. So what are some of those things you would say are kind of key elements of a strategy for some of our more mature small businesses? Yeah, there's definitely a few that stand out to me that I talk about a lot. One, don't be afraid to take risks. I will say the leadership at TechSynap was not afraid to take risks and they paid off almost every time, right? With those risks, don't be afraid to make investments. And that's usually strategic hires. You might not have the money coming in today to support the three people you just hired, but you are confident those hires are going to get you to that next stage of whatever that effort is. So knowing when to make those investments is key. And every investment doesn't play out, right? Like I've seen it in every organization I've been, you hire someone because of X, Y, and Z. That doesn't mean it's going to work out in the end for everybody, right? Maybe full circle, it's like, this wasn't what we thought. But not, but being afraid to take that step, you, you're missing an opportunity. You know, if you don't swing, you never know if you're going to hit. So you got to make sure you invest in that. And I will, I will actually quote my CEO who just said this on a call and says it quite often. They're not afraid to be scrappy. They're not afraid to go toe to toe with the big guys. They're not afraid to go after opportunities where they're like, I'm not sure, but you know what? I think we could do this. It has played in their favor way more often than it has not. And I've seen other companies too, right? And I've also seen the flip side of companies who are like, can't afford that, can't afford that, can't afford that. And then because there was no investments made, the opportunities didn't come, right? You can't build an empire. You can't build a successful model when you're relying on the same two to three people for 10 years. It doesn't play out well, right? People get burnt out. People get jaded, you know, successes can't come when it's only the two or three. And then ideas get old, right? You want to bring in new ideas, you know, fresh opportunities. So the, the list is endless, but I think the biggest two factors were, to me, strategic hires and not being afraid to take risks. I will say what keeps the company growing even after those, and this probably outshines everything, build a culture you want to be a part of and sustain it. Don't build it and lose sight of it when you start growing, because when you start losing sight of the culture you built, that's when you lose the people that you need the most to get to the next step. And I, I can speak for days on the model that TechSnap has built, and they're all former folks from larges, bigs, 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 right? They built a culture they believed in and wanted to be a part of, and they have not wavered on it. So I'll say that, you know, those are some very good strategies and tips for some of the larger companies that are thinking about what they need to do and how they need to plan in order for some of those mega shifts and transitions that are likely coming up within their timeline. We're going to we're going to kind of segue a little bit. I feel like we've already been talking a lot about lessons learned, but we're going to continue to to dig into that a little bit more and focus on as well some of the lessons for smalls partnering with large businesses and how you can learn those lessons the hard way or how you can learn those lessons, you know, the more, the easy way. And one of those easy ways being really taking advice from the people who've had those experiences and not necessarily doing everything that somebody tells you, but taking the golden nuggets or those points that are 
relevant to your business and using those pieces that align with what you're doing to inform how you move and what decisions you make. Mm -hmm. And so with that, let's get into more of the penny for your thoughts and the lessons learned. Yeah. So, I mean, on those lessons learned, I, I was kind of thinking through as we were having this discussion, some of the common pitfalls that I've seen. And I think some of those experiences we've even shared, Bianca, in various meetings across, you know, companies where we've, we've been a part of similar conversations. And I would say one of the ones that, that kind of came to mind first, and you mentioned it earlier as well, coming into a meeting unprepared, you've got your hand out, you're asking for slots or you're asking for a partnership, um, but you're not a showing that you have done your due diligence about the company you're speaking with. And potentially worse still, you haven't done any real due diligence about the opportunities or contracts that you're trying to be engaged in. You're just kind of hoping for the best that they'll have a conversation with you and share revenue for some magical reason that I don't know why anyone would just hand you slots. But we get this kind of unicorn approach where, you know, I am I am wonderful and you should just give me positions because me and my company, we're just the best and that should be enough, right? And of course, I'm oversimplifying it, but I will say sitting on the other side of the table, sometimes the conversations really do come across as if that you, you must have thought that way to come in and just be this ill-prepared for this conversation. And not to downplay those that are doing their due diligence, but that was just one of the things that came to mind in terms of working with dealing with situations where they could have gone a lot better. What is what are some of the experiences you've seen, kind of the pitfalls um, that we also probably should highlight to some of our listeners so that hopefully they avoid being in those situations? I think you nailed it with being prepared, right? Know what you're coming in to talk about, have some thoughts, ideas around it, and know who you're coming to talk about. It's not just that. Who are you talking with? Not just the company, who in that company? What is their role? What do they do? Do you know anything else about them? Do you know how they do business? Do you understand their likes and dislikes? Sometimes you can't gather all that, but nine times out of 10, I feel if you're coming to the table to talk, teaming and opportunity, you've got some sort of clue, but maybe they've now invited three other people into the room. Do a little research on who, who those people are. Where did they come from, from their career-wise? Because all of that to me makes a difference in, in how this all can play out, right? Understanding that everyone, some sometimes people do deserve the opportunity. Oh, you are an IT SME or you're a cyber SME, you know, the hot buttons today, cyber and cloud. You're a cyber SME. Are you willing to be full-time on a job? We got a position for you. You know, that's then built out by your company. Just make sure you get a sub K in place that allows your company to get the past performance, right? A lot of times I just, I see pushback on, no, we'll do a 1099, not a sub K. 1099 does, is not really what a small wants, right? They want the sub K. So making sure that you know the difference between that. We gotta, I got to pause you because I don't think we have really, I, say it one more time. Just say it one more time. For the people in the back. Want, for the I, people in the back that might not have heard you. We up here in the pulpit. We up here in the pulpit. We heard you. That we in the choir. But I want to make sure the people that showed up to church late, just on the back row, <laughs> they heard what you said because I don't want them to miss the message. All right. The message is 1099 is for independent consultants. You're not looking to build your business. You're looking to just get work and you like to work at your own pace and your own time and at your own bill rate. Sub K, you're building out your company. It might be Bianca Organization 1.0 and it is Bianca, but I want past performance for that company. 
And the only way to get it is a sub K. So you have to keep that in mind and you have to know that. And sometimes you don't as a small understand the difference. You think the 1099 will do it. It won't when the government's asking you for a past performance. Yeah, because there is a difference between what, so past performance, just like men or protege, there is a very specific definition for the term past performance. And it's very different from personal experience because I think there's a confusion with that sometimes where when, especially with new entrants or really small, smalls getting started, asking the government, you know, can my resume service background for whatever? And they're like, well, yeah, you can use personal experience, but that is not what traditionally is seen as past performance. So kudos, ditto, all of that good stuff. And, and, and that was a perfect set for wanting to ask about smalls giving away too much. Yeah. You know, without securing kind of their piece of pie. And yeah. uh, how can they mitigate the loss of the resources? And they still want to show that they're a good partner, right. but, you know, they're experiencing kind of a lack of reciprocation from, you know, the large partners. And, and this touches a little bit on the relationship piece and a few other things we've talked about. But uh, what would you say to those smalls and making sure that they're not giving away too much without some reciprocity for the investment that they're putting into these opportunities. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, don't give away all your trade secrets, so to speak, right? You know, that that is your intellectual property that's worth a lot to somebody. So making sure that, again, you understand what you're getting into, what the arrangement's going to be, but drawing hard lines on certain things. And sometimes you don't have the leverage. And I know that, you know, you're small and it's like, well, you know, we don't have to have you on the team. It's no problem. We can keep moving. But I think in, again, the right company, the right organization who sees something in you, that's a non-issue. It's knowing when it's not those types of situations and understanding that, all right, I got I to gotta cover my bases on maybe it's the sub K. Teaming agreements don't hold the same weight as the sub K either, right? So let's go into that. Like you got this team agreement. I'm going to get 10% work share. This is phenomenal. It, you, it is until you get to the sub K and that 10% is one person or that 10% becomes 1%, right? So the TA is just the beginning of the relationship, the courtship, the engagement. The sub K is when you get to the marriage of this is real, rubber hits the road, this is what we're gonna do. So just again, understanding how far to go, you always have to hold back something, you know? And if you've got a zinger or you've got a key personnel, you've got a relationship within wherever you're going to help support, sometimes you can't give all the cards up right? You can, you can share information, but you can't give all the cards up because then you're not valuable anymore. You're just another sub. And I would add to that in, in one of our previous episodes, we kind of talked a little bit about the value of having a team. So we're talking and it comes up because I think of the us on the phone and on this podcast, we're familiar with a lot of this language and we're trying to highlight it, but we, as a small, you can't, you can't know everything. So understand also the value of having a team. Even if you can't have a contracting officer or contract specialist, I should say, in your company full-time because you really don't have the work to support it, have one on retainer. Mm -hmm. So you have someone reviewing your subcase and your teaming agreements and and all the addendums and amendments and modifications that come along with that. You're not going to necessarily know all of those things. And God forbid you actually sit down and read every single DFAR that comes far and DFAR that comes in a flow down clause. I mean, most people don't. And kudos to those that actually sit and read the entire document. But most people don't outside of contracts, folks. 
Right. This is why we kind of reiterate, if you can try and get some of these resources on retainer so that you can offset your liability and your risk from just sheer ignorance. It's, it's not intentional. It's not malicious. You just don't know what you don't know. So some yeah. of these things as you're going into these partnerships with large businesses really suggest making sure you have a team of resources in place. That may be a lawyer that doubles as your contract specialist or your contract representative, or that may be an accountant that happens to know because they work in GovCon, someone that helps with contracts. Leverage your resources and your network around you, not just to develop these partnerships with businesses, but also to make sure you're covering down on your own company and your own investment. Because we're talking about these things in very plain language because we see it day in, day out. But you're not expected to know all these things are the things you learn. So make sure you have the resources in place to help support learning and growing with your company without assuming unnecessary risk. Yeah, yeah. And I think just because you've been in GovCon, being a contractor for someone else's company, supporting the government, you don't always know those moving parts behind the scenes that got you to the position you're in. To the point, having the contracts team or the pricing team or a resource that can tap into those because those are definitely unknowns. I rely on contracts team. Even when I read it, and I'm like, that seems legit. I still send it for review. Like maybe I missed a word that completely changes what that meant. I just want to make sure because at the end of the day, when you start signing legal documents, I mean, you can dispute how valid they'll hold up in court or not, but nonetheless, they're still legal binding documents that you've made with another company or organization that you want to stand to your commitments. I mean, we certainly do want to stand to ours, but you also want the commitment to be, you know, reciprocated to you and you get what you signed up for. So, you know, having, maybe it's a friend, hey, I'm going to take you on a weekend vacation. You might look at these documents for me. I mean, generally that's how I feel like a lot of small start. You you know, a guy that knows a guy that knows a guy and here we are, right? Tap into those people. You You will be able to pay them back, you know, and that's the key. Like, just keep good on your what you owe. You know, I owe you something, or here's a nice dinner. Next round, we're gonna do this. I mean, that's how it starts sometimes. Sometimes it's the retainer. If if you're at that point where you can do the retainers, highly recommend just to have that. Hey, I need you to review this document. Hours worth of work. It's worth it. It's a win-win for everybody. And I'll say like all of these amazing tips, lessons learned, testimonies, because we went to church for a minute. <laughs> All of the, all of, all of the things, right. We've talked about so many different types of lessons and thank you so much for even highlighting a couple of things that we may, we, like we know, but it just doesn't come up in conversation because it's kind of just like what you do. And with that, we want to learn a little bit more about what is going on or coming up over the horizon with tech synapse. And oh. Give us, give us some of the tea, like what's going on with the company? So many good things, right? So much growth reorganization. So my role, you know, I was recently promoted. My boss, who's been phenomenal, is retiring at end of year. So I'm taking over his role in some other areas. So we're really starting to structure the company in a, in a way where we've got, now I have all of civilian, we've got our DOD, we've got the IC community, and then we have wireless. So we've got different branches, so to speak, of the company where we all talk at least once a week on, on a call, but we're all doing very different and dynamic things. So I would say more growth is in our trajectory over the coming uh, year or so with all of these big opportunities out. You look at Evolve, you look at Oasis, CRLSP4, 
whenever it comes out of protest. Eventual, eventual <laughs> CIOs. We're in all three, right? So we have all, we have the mid-tier, the, the emerging, and we have a large, you know, as of before, we won all three. So those, those opened the floodgates for us for opportunity for the long term. So I think from that perspective, it's constant growth, lots of recompetes coming up, big recompetes across different areas of our organization. So I'll say the next few months for us is going to be heads down. Let's get these wins back in because we've had a great few years and I don't see the train stopping because again, they strategically hire when it's right and they've done that. And it's proven to be a very successful model. But, you know, in that growth, we are looking for more partners. I think that's the key. Like, who else can help support some of the work we're doing? Some of it we can do by ourselves, right? We're at a point where we have enough depth and breadth as a company where we don't need a partner, but maybe we want a partner. Maybe we want to add someone to, to fill one of the tasks or one of the certain areas. So I think keeping eyes wide open for the smalls, the, the micro smalls. How can we partner with TechSnap? Because there is a value add. And when you're hungry, you bring your best to the table, right? And I think that's what TechSnap is built on. They had a vision. They wanted to make it happen and they did. And it started with one contract. Like it wasn't like they were handed all these contracts and all of a sudden they were this large. I mean, it was a, a, a slow but steady climb. And then it was like, boom, floodgates opened. They'll, they'll tell the story a hundred times of the, the three-year courtship of me Right. And it, and I was excited about TechSnap. Don't I really wanted to go, but timing was everything. I was in the middle of my MBA. I was I had just taken a role in a new company. There was all these variables. And then, you know, I just kept tabs on the company, kept talking to different people, and everything came exactly when it's supposed to be. Timing is everything. But you will hear that story if you talk to our leadership of we were going to give you one more shot. That was a long courtship. It was, but I think it was worth it for me, for them. I wouldn't have been able to give them my all three years prior to joining, right? I just had so many other things happening. So they wait, they're patient and they invest. And I, and I think that alone sets them apart from a lot of places I've been, right? And I've been to a few companies. I've seen some great things happen and I've seen some really not so great things happen and how the leadership from the top down matters. How the CEO interacts with you, as the director interacts with you, as a manager interacts with you. If one of them is off, it's probably more than just one of them, right? And particularly at the top, when you have someone at the top that sets a tone of how things should go, it trickles down, unfortunately. And everyone might not jump into that negative Kool-Aid, but enough people do that it creates an environment a lot of people don't want to be into. So Knowing who the leadership is and how they navigate people, I mean, they're people person, right? They they built this from the ground up and, and they love to know who works in this company, even at 1,100 plus employees. Wow. I mean, they'll sit down and have a talk with anybody. They show up to events all the time and talk to people who they would never know. They just show up because they want to know who else is out there. And there's so many new employees. It's hard, but they definitely, they put their all into making sure they know as many of us as they can. So for our smalls out there that want to potentially, you know, reach out and learn more about tech and how to be, you know, a part of the tech team, how do they reach you all? How did our government listeners reach you all? What, what are you, what's your, what's your deed? I would say go to the website and look who runs what, right? We identify who's overseeing different areas. If that's what you want to do, I'm happy to be a point of contact and I'll, I'll send you to the right people because I do civilian. That's all I do. 
I don't touch any of our DOD, our Army, our DLA, our DITRA. It's not my lane, but I know exactly who you need to talk to to have the right conversations. And the website is what, again, for those that probably came across it and thought it was tech sign up or something like that, and maybe heard someone say it because they were pronouncing it wrong. I'll let, I'll let you give that information. Techsynap.com. Very easy. T-E-K-S-Y-N-A-P. <laughs> That's it. Appreciate you taking the time. Tasha, anything you, any closing remarks? Yes. So this episode, this whole episode has been about, so you want to play with the big dogs. And, you know, we hit across all of the jargon and adjectives ca characterizing roles and sizes of business that are in this particular space. And we really dug into some of the lessons learned of different strategies um, for small businesses, whether you're very small or you're a mid-tier small, whether you're a large small or transitioning from a small to a large. We've touched on quite a few things that's associated with doing business with the big dogs in the space. And thank you so, so much, Bianca, for joining with us. Lots of nuggets. I feel like I even got a, a booster to my knowledge bank and I truly appreciate that. Well, and we I appreciate y'all for taking the time. Yeah, we want to say thanks again to our listeners as well. Thank you all for joining us on, on Unveiled, uh, GovCon Stories, a high 39 media production with our guest, Bianca Berrios of Texan App and your host, Tasha Yas. Um, please subscribe, share the video, share the links. And all as always, we love feedback. We love other podcast ideas and hope to have you as a listener on our podcast one day here soon. Thanks again. <laughs>